Well, good morning. Good to be here with you again to share God's word. And I don't know if you felt it or not, but it's a lot cooler in here this morning. So all glory be to Christ indeed. Before we start, let me pray. Lord, we give you all the honor and glory, and we pray that we would do so now as we come to your word, to hear it, to love it, to obey it, to hear from you, to love you, to obey you, and to do what you say. Lord, we ask you to help us, to convict us, to correct us, change us, and comfort us so that we will look more like your son, Jesus Christ. We ask in his name. Amen. So back in college, I had a a German history professor named Dr. Hermann Beck. I studied um, history in my undergraduate degree, and I loved this guy. He was an amazing professor. I took maybe about four or five classes with him. I wanted to take every single class that I could with him because he was that great. His lectures were incredible. His mustache was outstanding. His voice was deep and commanding, and girthy, and I just loved my classes with him. But the most profound thing that I learned from him was actually this three-word statement, which was a response to one of the other students' questions. I don't even remember the question, but I think the student was asking something related to German history, World War I, the rise of Hitler, World War II, Holocaust, etc., something like, why did this happen, or how could this happen, or why did the people do this or that, something to that effect. His answer has stuck with me for the last 13 plus years. His answer was, people think historically. Now think about that. That's pretty true, right? Like if I were to ask any of you of your most joyous memory, maybe the birth of a child or your wedding day, You not only remember what happened that day, but you remember that joy that you felt. If I were also to ask you about your deepest pain, your deepest hurt, your biggest regret, you would remember that with clarity, but you would also feel a type of way about it. We all live in light of our past, in light of our past history, to try to repeat past successes, to make sure that things continue to go well, or to undo the past wrongs that we've done or to to make sure that we don't make previous mistakes over and over again. Why is that? People think historically. I think he was absolutely right about that. So if that's true, then it's not just that we think historically that's important, but it's how we think about our past that's important for us. And what we're going to focus on in God's Word today is a time in the life of King David where he was reflecting on all that God had done for them and his people, reflecting on the past faithfulness of God and the fact that God was on their side. So you haven't turned there already, please meet me in Psalm chapter 124. This is part of the Psalms, which is referred to as the Psalms of Ascent. Again, that's chapters 120 through 134. They're all very short. You can actually read through all the Psalms of Ascent in probably about 10 minutes. Um, But these are particular prayers and songs that were sung from God's people as they were making their way to worship the Lord in Jerusalem. And these are also often referred to as the pilgrim songs of God's people. 
meaning sojourners, meaning this is not their home. They're longing for the home that's going to come, which is the same that we're longing for. And many of these Psalms of Ascent are anonymous, just like Psalm 123 of last week. But this one was written by King David. We know it because the Bible says so. So kids, who was King David? Name something about him. Something he did, something he's known for. Any kid in the room? I see a hand. I don't see a face back there. Who was King David? Yeah. He defeated Goliath. You guys remember that? He defeated Goliath. What else did he do? I kind of already said it. He was a... He, played, he did play the harp. He was a skilled musician. But he also was a king, right? He was the king of Israel. Okay? He was anointed at king from a very young age and then had a long reign in Israel. He was also a victorious king. If you remember, there were, there were these songs that were sung about David and how victorious he was over his triumphs, even more victorious than his predecessor, Saul. And many uh, um, scholars think that this psalm was written specifically in a time of King David's life when he had a victory over the Philistines. If you want to read it later, that's 2 Samuel chapter 5. But this also could refer to any sort of time period of victory in David's life. But one verse I'll read really quickly is 2 Samuel 5 verse 20, where it's talking about this victory. It says, And David came to Baal Perizim, and David defeated them there, them being the Philistines. And he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like the breaking of a flood. Now, flood might come up again later in Psalm 124, so just keep that in mind. The Philistines left their idols there, and David and his men carried them away. How and why was David so prosperous and so victorious in battle? Verse 10 of that same chapter says, And David became greater and greater, for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. So in recounting this victory, David wants to make sure that all the credit goes to where it belongs. Not in their own strength, not in their might, not in their own skill, but in their Savior, the Lord. So they remember what was done for them, and they rejoice in the Lord. So if Psalm 123 was a song of lament, this one, 124, is more of a song of praise and thanksgiving to God. So let me read the text. Psalm 124, this is God's word. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when the people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept over us. The torrent would have gone over us. And then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. So we'll focus on these two main thoughts in light of this passage. Since the Lord is on our side, we should remember his deliverance and rejoice in his rescue. Remember his deliverance and rejoice 
and his rescue. Let's start with point one. Remember his deliverance. So David here starts this psalm with this phrase that's repeated in verses one and two. David uses this for his remembrance, but also for all of the people of Israel. And this phrase really can preach a sermon all by itself. If it had not been for the Lord who was on my side. Think about that for a minute and just sit there. How would you fill in that blank? If it had not been for the Lord who was on your side, where would you be or who would you be? And with us being newer here to the church, it's been great to get to know so many of you and to, when we get together, often have that part of the conversation where we ask each other, how did you come to know the Lord? That's such a beautiful and important question. And in doing so, we get to recall and remember and rejoice in what God has done for us. We get to remember parts of our story that we may have not even really put into words before. We get to make connections that the Lord hadn't revealed to us before. We get to hear from each other what God is doing and has done in your lives. And that encourages us and that strengthens our faith and our faithfulness. So if you see somebody this afternoon after church is over and you hadn't quite met them, you might need to get the short version, but feel free to ask them, how did you come to know the Lord? And you will be encouraged. I guarantee that. Kids, that's a great question for you to ask your parents, maybe even over lunch this, this afternoon if you haven't done so. How did you, mom or dad, come to know the Lord? Teens in the room. A good question you can ask your dad, your parents. Maybe you already know that part. It's like, what were some of the biggest obstacles you had or have in following Jesus? You might find some really good insight that might help you as you seek to follow Jesus. And parents, let's continue to find ways, as many ways as we can, to highlight and magnify the Lord's work in our lives. So if we see God show up in power, if we see him answer a prayer for us, sit your children down and tell them exactly what God did so that they can recall and reflect on his faithfulness. I mean, that's what the Lord tells his people to do, right? In Deuteronomy chapter 6, for example, it says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your, teach your children and shall talk of them when you sit down and when you walk by the way and when you lie, lie down. And when you rise, in other words, you should always be willing to share what the Lord has done with your children. And in that, we have the privilege and the responsibility to pass on the good news of God's faithfulness to the people around us. And in that, we get to remember and rejoice in all that he has done. Verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 124, they continues with this if statement. It says, if the Lord had not been on our side. And that statement might sound a little bit surprising. It might sound a little bit arrogant of David to even say something like that. Who was David to believe that God was on his side or on their side? How can anybody know that God was on their side? If you've read enough of the Bible, enough of the Old Testament, then you should know that if the Lord was on the side of the people of Israel, it's not because of their obedience. It was not because of their skill. It was not because they said, yes, Lord, and amen, and they immediately did everything that the Lord wanted them to. That's not their story. 
And in fact, that's not our story. The Lord was on their side because he decided to be on their side. He chose them. And Christian, the Lord is on your side today, not because you give, not because you pray, not because you're nice, not because you're kind, not because you're faithful, but he decided to be on your side. The Bible says, by grace, you and I have been saved. And it's only by grace that we are saved. Pastor H.B. Charles put it this way. He says, in salvation, we do our part and God does his part. We do the sinning and God does the saving. Amen? And if the Lord has saved you today, you didn't do that. That was not your plan or your idea. It started with him and it ended with him. And that's evidence of his grace towards you. Just think of what we've been learning in 1 Peter. Like 1 Peter chapter 1 starting in verse 3, for example. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has called us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In short, if God is on your side, that's because he's on Christ's side. And that's because God has decided to be faithful to you. And if you've turned from your sin and put your trust in him alone for your salvation, then you have assured evidence that God is on your side. And the ending of of verse 1 in Psalm 124 has that little phrase where it says, let Israel now say. So David's reflecting on God's faithfulness. He's saying that he's been faithful to all of us, but he's like, let's sing all of this together. Let's remember that we are all on God's side because of his faithfulness towards us. And that's the same for us as Christians. We are delivered not only from our sin, but we are delivered to a people, to a body, to one another. And that's, we are, that's why we are members of the body, members of one another, united in Christ, around Christ, and in the power of his Holy Spirit. That's what makes us here together united as one body in Christ. And when we gather, we are simply reminding each other of what all that's true. We're remembering those facts, we're rejoicing in that together, and we're encouraging each other throughout. One of the most encouraging passages of Scripture for me is 1 Thessalonians 5. I mean the whole book of 1 Thessalonians, but I'll just read a few verses of chapter 5, starting in verse 9. It says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, sit there for a minute. God has not destined us for wrath, but unto salvation, which he's already given to us, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are already doing. And that's what I say to you all, CBC, as we continue to gather with each other, as we continue to live with one another and, and, and be neighbors, etc., and encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ, let's continue to encourage and love one another. Let's remember our Pastor John and the Joseph family. They've had a very challenging season. Find ways to encourage them and continue to do that. Encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ with God's word. Encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ with prayer and to pray. Encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ to forgive. Encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ to fight for holiness. 
and remind each other that because of the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are not destined for wrath, but unto salvation. And he will give that to us. And that means that if that's true, which it is, if you're discouraged this morning, you have no reason to hide that from anybody. Share that with your brothers and sisters so that they can encourage you to go to the throne of grace. Because we all need encouragement sometimes. And encouragement is like turning on a light in a dark room. It helps us to see our way through, to see what's true, to remember what's true about God, and to give us faith and strength as we continue to follow him. So what would have happened if the Lord had not been on their side specifically in this psalm? They go on to explain it in this psalm, verses 3 through 5. It says, Then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept over us. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. So in verse 3, you get this imagery of being swallowed up like a sinkhole which I don't know if you ever looked into sinkholes, but that's pretty terrifying. If it had not been for the Lord, they would have been swallowed up and flooded with certain death. But since the Lord was on their side, he delivered them from that death that was coming towards them. And even in verses 4 and 5, you have this imagery of a flood. And that should be very familiar for us. Not only in the passage that I read in 2 Samuel 5, but in the Bible, there's all sorts of depictions of the flood. Is the flood familiar to anybody? Is there a flood in the Bible that happens? What happened? Yes. Noah's Ark. You guys remember that, right? What is David doing here then? Why is he bringing up this flood imagery? What he's doing, what I think he's doing, is he's connecting God's saving work and delivering them to the history of all of God's people. Meaning, he's saying what God has done for us is what he's always done for his people. That's why you have there the imagery of the flood. That's why you have this reference here, which again reminds us of Noah and the ark. Or it even reminds us of Moses and the parting of the Red Sea. So David is basically saying the same God that delivered his people through the flood, the same God that parted the Red Sea for his people is the same God that delivered us from our enemies. And if we even think about this a little bit further, if we think about God's people who were referred to as the Israelites, otherwise known as the Hebrews, that literally means the people to be carried through, like to be brought through the waters as in the waters of the ark, or the waters of the Red Sea, or the waters of death into new life, God has literally stamped his faithfulness in the naming of his people. That's what he does for us. And God has brought his people through the waters of judgment, the judgment that they had earned because of their sin. So if you remember Noah and the ark, Noah and his family and those animals that were in there, they were spared, they were saved. But what about those outside of the ark? They were judged, and they were swallowed up in the waters of judgment. Or even think about later when God led his people out of Israel through Moses, the Exodus. And Moses was able to lead God's people through the Red Sea on dry ground. What happened after God's people got through? The waters came back up, 
and the enemies of God were swallowed up in judgment. But neither Moses nor Noah nor even King David could be the people to ultimately deliver God's people through the waters of judgment that we deserve because they all were sinners, just like we all are sinners. They need a Savior just like we need a Savior. We need forgiveness because of our crimes against God. We need someone to bridge the gap between the waters of God's just judgment against us and dry ground. And that gap was Jesus Christ. And he was the only one that could fulfill that job description. That's why he lived the perfect life. He died on the cross. He rose from the grave so that all who believe in him can be brought through safely the waters of God's judgment and through brought through on dry ground. And even death itself is the one that gets swallowed up now because death is swallowed up in victory. And if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus or, or you're struggling to believe that that's true, you might have family members and loved ones who mean well, but they drive you crazy with all this Jesus stuff. It's like, why are they telling me about this again? Or I sucked it up and came to church with them this morning. Let me speak for them for a moment, if I may. This is not some sort of a Ponzi scheme or let's just just get all these people together to fill a room up. That's not why they share the gospel with you. That's not why they pray for you. That's not why they've encouraged you to come here. They're saying, like Noah, a flood is coming. You need to get inside of the ark. And that ark is Jesus Christ. They're saying, like Moses... You need to get into your homes and have the blood of the lamb cover the doorposts of your homes. And the blood of the lamb, Jesus Christ, was spilled out for you. You need to trust him by faith. They are saying a judgment is coming. The floodwaters are going to recede in, but you can walk through by faith with Jesus Christ on dry ground. You need to put your faith and trust in him. They are saying judgment is coming. Turn to Christ today. We encourage all of you, if any of you feel like you're in that category, there are lots of people who would love to speak with you about what that means, to put your faith in Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, this should all remind us that we should be good historians of the faith. We should be good historians of the faith that has been passed down to us because it has been passed down to us. We didn't start it. And we should be reminded of the fact that God's faithfulness is not solely dependent on us. My wife and I were reminded of this during our last full day in Miami just a few weeks ago. We spent the morning with my grandmother, Thelma. We spent the afternoon with Erlene's grandparents, particularly her grandmother, Maria Elena. Both of them are pillars of the faith in our family, and they have been for years and years and years. And I was reminded before leaving that God got to my family before I did. And if you're a little discouraged this morning, if you've been praying and hoping that that loved one would come to know Jesus, be reminded that he got there before you did. That's evident through your life, even if you're the first one. Pray that he will continue to work in and through the life of your family. We need to be good historians of the faith that's been passed down to us. Whether it was grandparents or parents that passed down the faith, or it was friends that gave us the faith or told us the gospel, remember and rejoice in the Lord for that. If those people are around, thank them for their faithfulness 
in sharing the gospel. But let's remember God's faithfulness through his people in a few other different ways. So one other thing I would encourage, if you haven't done so, find a good biography of brothers and sisters in the faith who've gone before us. Their kids and teen version of these books, some of you might have them. Right now, I'm reading one about Dr. Tim Keller. It's been so encouraging. And you know what these things remind you of? It's like, oh, God did that then. He's the same God. He can do that for us now. It just reminds you that God continues to be faithful to his people. Or even go to God's word. You can go all over the place. But I would recommend Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith chapter. You see all these different names and circumstances. The point is that God carried them through and they were pleasing to God with their faith. And that should encourage you and I in our faith. Because their faith pointed to the author and finisher of our faith. Jesus Christ. Point two, if the Lord is on your side, you should remember his deliverance, but secondly, you should rejoice in his rescue. Let's look at verse six. It says, blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. Starts with this phrase, blessed be the Lord, which is basically just a shout of praise. He's saying, praise the Lord, bless the Lord, we thank you, Lord. Mighty are you, Lord. Worthy are you, Lord, for all that you have done. What did they do when they remembered on the deliverance that God had given his people and the deliverance that he's given all their people? They rejoiced in him. That's what we do when we gather. That's why we have a prayer of praise. That's why we sing these songs that we sing. It reminds us to rejoice, not just remember, but rejoice in all that the Lord has done for us. Think about what we've already been singing. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make us whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Or even in how deep the Father's love for us. Why should I gain from his reward? I can't give an answer because there is no answer. But this I know with all of my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom. Let's let these songs not just be words for us. These are truths and reminders for us to rejoice in him. So rejoice in his rescue and sing often of his rescue. We can even use these during the week and part of our devotion and our faithfulness to God to remember what he's done for us and serve our affections for him. Remember that he's paid for your ransom. And songs are a great way for us to rejoice in him. But even the rest of verse 6, it says that the Lord is to be blessed. The Lord is to be praised. Why? Because he has not given us as prey to their teeth. Which shows the kind of escape that God's people would have had in this battle with the Philistines or any other battle that God's people would have had. And if it mentions teeth, that means these, these foes, they were formidable. They were pretty strong. That means the escape was a close one. It was a narrow one. And even in verse 7, there's a similar kind of metaphor, a strange metaphor, right, Jonathan, that he adds, that they add in verse 7, where it says, we have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. If a bird is snared, it's trapped, it can't fly. It's not free. They're saying we narrowly escaped just in the nick of time. We got away from their teeth. We got away from the snare. 
What do we do with all this? I think this should teach us to firstly remember that we should think biblically about the rescue that God has given to his people. So to make it plain, you did not need a little bit of Jesus added to your life. You and I did not just need purpose added to our life. We did not just need something else to do on Sunday morning. The Bible says that you weren't treading water, you drowned, you were dead in your trespasses and sin, and you have been made alive. That's why it's called a new birth. That's why we've been born again in Jesus Christ. It's not just an add-on. We need Jesus for everything. And secondly, this should remind us why we are called to share the gospel with our friends, our family, our neighbors, our loved ones. Our call to share the gospel is not just to encourage people in their lives or to give them purpose or to make their lives a little bit better. Or, I guess they're okay, maybe just a little bit of Jesus would help them out. You know, that sort of eternal life thing. No, according to the Bible, this is a matter of our eternity. And judgment is coming. So that should give us further, that should bring us to our knees to pray for those who don't know Jesus and pray that the Lord will open their eyes to see him as he rightly is. Thirdly, it should remind us that we're called to love our enemies. We talked a little bit about last week. So we may not have enemies that look like the Philistines, but we certainly have those in our life and around us that oppose Jesus and his gospel. And it may be easy for us to grow in bitterness and disdain towards those people and put those people in a category of those people and kind of do our own thing from a distance. So Jesus says we're to love our enemies. And let me just say this, we should not go around making enemies. If anybody's offended, they should be offended because of the gospel we preach, not because of how we treat them. Lastly, These verses should remind us that we should not presume upon the grace of God. The fact that God is gracious and he forgives and he snatches us away from the snare of the fowler should not give us license to live in unrepentant sin. We should repent and turn to him, trusting in that same grace to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And that also means if you're here once again and you're not a follower of Jesus, You don't have all the time in the world. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Let's not presume that we have tomorrow. Let's not put off obedience until tomorrow. Here's what J.C. Ryle says about tomorrow. Tomorrow is the devil's day. Today is God's day. Satan doesn't care how spiritual your intentions are or how holy your resolutions are if only they are determined to be done tomorrow. So follow Christ in obedience today, and let's not delay. But if this escape was so narrow, who did they escape from? Well, in the text itself, it says they and their. Again, it probably is referring to these Philistines, but these Philistines are not named in the passage. Why are they not named? I think it's a good thing they're not named because that means that can apply to us more directly because they're not directly named. 
In other Psalms, David had no problem naming the peoples or the, the, those who were the enemies of God, but they're not named here. I also think they're not named because the enemies themselves are not the point. The point is God and his rescue from the enemies. So he's making the main thing the main thing. And that's why if you look at the the psalm itself in Psalm 124, the name of the Lord is surrounding the mention of the enemies. It's all over the passage. The name of the Lord is mentioned more than the enemies are mentioned and even what they've done. Why? Because that's what the Lord does for his people. He surrounds them from the, the trouble that the enemies might give to them. And that's even what we learned last week in VBS. Right, kids? I'm not going to ask you to recite a verse. I thought about it, but we won't, we won't go that far. But what did we learn last week from VBS in Ephesians chapter 6? We need to put on what? Might just shout it out. The, the what? I said shout. The armor of God. We need to put on the full armor of God. Why? Huh? Because Jesus tells us to, that's right. But we need to stand against the schemes of who? The devil. That's right. If you notice, though, in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul doesn't go into detail about these schemes. He doesn't say, look out for this scheme and that scheme and that scheme. But he does go in detail explaining what this armor of God looks like, what it means to put it on, and how we can live that out for our lives. There's an emphasis here on God and his rescue and his deliverance. And that's exactly how we need to live our lives. So yes, you may have enemies, but you need to put your focus on the Lord himself and his rescue. That's how he's going to preserve you. That's how he's going to bring you through. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? Or as it says in Psalm 118, verse 6, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Not very much if the Lord is on our side. Let's remember that he's here and he's with us and he's here to help us. That's what it says in verse 8. It says, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. This should remind us of Psalm chapter 121, which I'll read again. It says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So again, it's another reference to that verse, reminder of this help that the Lord gives and this help that we need from him. But help is hard to receive sometimes, right? It's why a student will sit in class, and I know this from being a teacher, a student will sit in class, not have any idea what's going on. The teacher will ask, are there any questions? And nobody raises their hand. Nobody says a word. And then you find out later, they didn't know what was going on. They probably didn't even see the board that you were writing on. You don't ask for help. It's why we would rather Google answers to questions instead of going across the street to ask our neighbors for that same sort of question or help. And I'm one of those people just just putting that out there. We sometimes don't think that we'll get the help that we need when we ask for it, right? We might think, 
uh, they've got other things to do or better things to do. They're unwilling to help. Or we might think, I don't know what I'm doing. They don't know what they're doing either. They're unable to help. Just the other day, speaking of help that we needed, we needed help in fixing our upstairs toilet. And it's been fixed, praise the Lord. But a guy came over who's connected with, um, with Grace Christian School, came over to help, wonderful man. He was there, he was patient, he looked at everything he could. He did everything he could. He didn't know what he was walking into. He didn't have the tools to fix it. And he had to leave with our toilet not being fixed. He was willing to help, and bless his heart, but he was unable to help us. He didn't have the right things to help us. It's not that way with the Lord. He's not only willing to help his people, he is able to help his people. He's able to help us in ways that we don't even think we need help or ways that we don't even want to be helped. We don't have to wonder. That's why we get to call on his name. And we don't have to question, is he going to be able to get the job done? He does it every single time. It's just who he is. He's willing and able to help his people. And that's why it says that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Why would it say name there? It didn't say name before in Psalm 121. The name, that same name that's all over Psalm 124, that's surrounding his people, reminds us of his character, of his covenant-keeping nature, the fact that God keeps his covenant and he keeps his people. That's why the name is emphasized here. And when remembering that, that can remind us of Exodus, where, it says, where the Lord himself says that he is gracious, full of mercy, slow to anger, and abounding in faithful love. That's who he is. He's the great I am. That's part of his character. And his character keeps with his covenant, and that's not going to change. That's why we remember and rejoice in the name of the Lord our God. And he proved this to David before in his life when he was younger. He proved it through God's people before David. That's why you have those references to Noah and even to Moses. He proved it even beyond David through David's lineage, through the coming of his Lord Jesus Christ, who has come to usher in a new covenant through his blood. And in that, we see a picture of the Lord's Supper that we're going to take in just a few minutes, remembering his broken body and his shed blood for our sins, the deliverance that he offered to us. We get to remember that, but also rejoice in what he's done for his people. So if the Lord is on your side today, which he is because of Jesus Christ, let's pass on the faith that was delivered once and for all for the saints. Let's share the good news. Let's share on his faithfulness towards us as good historians. Let's remember the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the deliverance that he offers us. Let's remember that, but also let's rejoice in the rescue that he's delivered us from. Because one day, as the Bible says, his rescue mission will be complete. We will see him face to face, and we will be like him because we will see him as he is. Let's pray together. Oh God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your work. We thank you that you are still working. We thank you for everything that you've done in and through our lives to bring us to this point. 
God, we ask you to increase our faith, to trust that, yes, the same God of Abraham, of Noah, of Moses, of David, of Joshua is our same God. And the same faithfulness that you displayed before, you display today. Help us to remember deliverance that you've offered us through Christ and help us to rejoice in you. In Jesus' name, amen.